They're cutting out. Can you repeat that? Go for production. Go for production. I said go for production. Production. That's right. You're listening to a podcast about TV and film production. Join us as we converse with industry leaders and gain insight into their strategies, their systems, and best practices in bringing a script to life. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Brendan Riley. Today, our guest is Joth Riggs, an award-winning filmmaker whose film career spans 25 years and includes over 80 movies and TV shows for all the major Hollywood studios. After graduating with a bachelor's degree in film production, Joth got a start on the set of his first feature film, Pet Cemetery 2. From there, he went on to work as a production assistant on the sitcom Coach on the Universal lot before ultimately landing at Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. It was only after being accepted into the prestigious DGA trainee program that Joth left Amblin to become an assistant director. After years of ADing on everything from feature films like Starship Troopers, End of Days, and Suicide Kings with Christopher Walken, to TV series such as CSI Crime Scene Investigation, Party of Five, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, and Baywatch, among others, Joth made the move to the director's chair with several award-winning short films including Push, Shaken, and Heartfall, as well as the television series The Encounter. Joth is currently in pre-production to direct a suspense thriller later this year. Welcome to the show, Joth. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks for having me. I do have a rule that I'm not supposed to be interviewing directors, so I almost wasn't allowed to direct you based <laughs> on my own self-imposed rule, but I figured we would let that rule slide today. I've done more ADing than directing, so <laughs> we'll lean heavily on that side. As a... But I think today we will talk about directors, so I think it, it can be an applicable thing. Um, you, you started quite a while ago. What, how did you get into this this world of being an AD? What, what got you interested in that? Well, I was... Uh, I was fortunate that I um, I had a family member who worked uh, in the camera department on Pet Cemetery 2. I went to film school. Oh, nepotism. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't hurt. Um, and so he got me on the project as an intern. So, you know, I wasn't paid. Uh, I worked on the whole project and um, worked as an intern in the camera department, uh, doing video assists, setting up the monitor for the director and so on. But it was during that shoot that I obviously I got to observe all of the different departments on the set and see what everybody did and I was enamored by the first AD clearly he was the guy in charge and running the show and I loved all of the different elements that he was responsible for and took part in and I decided on my very first film that's for me and so, so you start doing that, you start, well, you, then you get into the DGA training program, right? Yeah, actually I went on on a couple of shows after that to, uh, to become a PA. So I was at least starting to get paid in the business. Right. Um, I was a PA on a couple of different shows and then ultimately I did, uh, apply for the director's guild training program and was accepted at the time I was a PA at Amblin entertainment. Um, and as cool as it is to work for Steven Spielberg, I knew I wanted to be on set. And so to get into the training program was a no-brainer for me. So I left Amblin and started becoming an assistant director in training. Now, for people that haven't heard what this DGA training program is, can you give us the brief synopsis of what that entails? Yeah, the DGA training program is sponsored by the Directors Guild in conjunction with the Producers Guild. 
and it's a 400 day program. It takes approximately two years. During that time, the DGA will assign you different shows of varying sizes, uh, features, sitcoms, uh, episodic, uh, for 400 days and train you during that process. Um, but the great news is, so you're not just a hired hand. They actually train you. Um, the ADs on each one of those shows takes the time to, to show you the ropes. And they're the best of the best, so it's great. You're being trained by people who know this job really well. In addition to that, you also take uh, you, you have to go to seminars and classes and observation days in other areas like commercials and, and so on. It's it's really cool program, and I think what what's neat about it is you really get to work on so many different sets that your your contacts yeah. are just phenomenal. Yeah, because you know it's funny. I mean, in the film industry, it does tend to compartmentalize. Feature people tend to stick with features. Commercial people tend to stick with commercials, and so on. And so sometimes it can be a little difficult to cross over from one genre to another. But in the training program, you get to work on a set from every one of those genres, and so. You know, you can kind of find out where, you know, what the best fit is. And, and, of course, you're making connections at every stage of the way, which is really important in a freelance industry. It's really important to stay connected. That's very cool. So you, you do the program, and then, and then you start working as an AD, and you've been doing that for a while. Right, right now, you, you've done a lot of independent films, worked with a lot of first-time directors, um, looking at your credits I wanted to t kind of touch about this idea of working with first-time directors, you know, and just kind of get some ideas for somebody else that may be trying to do the same thing. W what are some things, some challenges you've had? What are some things that, that you typically do um, when you're faced with that s scenario? You're about to prep a movie. You have somebody wrote a script, and now they're they're being tasked to direct it, but they don't really know the system. They don't know essentially um what the typical protocol is yeah and, and i did transition away from the studio projects um I, I felt like i i really wanted to get into sort of smaller projects where i could have a more tangible uh connection to the final product um mm -hmm. as opposed to being a, a small cog in some of those giant machines that the studio films can tend to be so yeah i've done a lot of independent films and you're obviously you're far more likely to come across a first-time director and because of all my experience I do tend to get calls a lot more often when there is a first-time director to just sort of make sure that things run smoothly and so on um, so, to, so to answer your question you know what are some of the things I do as a, as a first AD working with a first-time director um, you know I mean, my, my bottom line is I'm there to make sure that the film gets in the can, essentially. Um, so I want to make sure that the shoot goes as smooth as possible. And ultimately, I want to make sure that the, that the director gets what the director needs in order to make a great film. And so, um, you know, every person is different. Every director is different. The advantage that I have having assistant directed on more than 80 projects is I've worked with scores of directors from fantastic directors, Steven Spielberg, Paul Verhoeven, all the way down to first-time directors who have no business in the chair and, and everything in between. So I've seen a lot of things that work really well and I've seen a lot of things that don't work really well and learned from all of them. One of the things that I really try and do early on is I try and build the director up. I try and 
make sure that they feel comfortable, that they feel confident, because a nervous or anxious director isn't going to be good for anybody. And ultimately, I try and help them relax and rec and let them allow them to recognize that they are not a one-man band, that they have an entire crew and cast there to support their vision. And sometimes it's a little hard for them to remember that they can actually rely on people and not have to micromanage every little thing. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I try and encourage them to focus on things that I think are more important for them to focus on and maybe sometimes leave things for others. I mean, it depends. If they're entirely you know, capable and just killing it, you know, then I, I'll, I'll step back and just do right. my job. But if I, if I sense that they might need a little bit of encouragement or they're feeling overwhelmed or they're getting confused because they're just not able to focus, uh, you know, I am the assistant director, so I'm right there. I'm their right-hand man. Uh, I want to do anything I can to help facilitate them and their vision. And, um, and, and, you know, to kind of put it into some specifics, one of the first things that I encourage them to ha to do is to have a really strong, clear vision of what they see this movie looking like in their head. Um, if the director can't see the movie in their head, it's not just going to luckily end up on screen. You know, they have to actually know what movie they're making. Um, and sometimes they get so bogged down in the details, they kind of forget to take a breath, step back and make sure they clearly see the big picture. So in addition to making sure that the director's got a good, clear, big picture, I try and help them articulate it because it, it doesn't do any good if it stays in their head. They have to be able to share that with their cast, share that with their, their key team members like their DP and their production designer. We want to you know help them get that vision out of their head and up onto the screen, which means they've got to learn to work with the team. Is there anything specific that you might be doing <clears throat> When it comes to pre pre production or the prep phase, do you meet with them? Talk about these things. Well, I'm I'm certainly there for a a, a really large portion of that part of the process. Um, the one thing I'm not usually around for is um, casting and, and rehearsals. You know, that's I, <clears throat> but I encourage that. You know, one of the things that's one of the more vital elements of the of the director and his relationships on set is the relationship between the director and the cast. They have to develop a rapport and the director has to learn to trust their cast and the cast really importantly has to learn to trust, to trust the director. Once they've developed that level of trust, that frees up the actor to kind of come out of their shell a little bit, to try and find that character, to maybe reach for it a little further. If they don't feel like they can trust their director, or that the director isn't up to the task of making them look good on screen, then they may hold back. They may reserve their performance um, in fear of not looking good. You know, I mean, actors, unlike those of us behind the camera, their work is entirely in front of the world for the world to judge. You know, if, if somebody behind the camera messes up here and there, your your audience isn't going to necessarily know who's responsible. Right. But an actor can't get away with that. So they, they the relationship with the director is really important. And so I try and foster that early on. Is there anything that you, you know, in the terms of being prepared, like do you encourage storyboarding or shot listing? And how does that work into your... 
Yeah, well, in relation to the answer I just gave you, which is, you know, I, I, I would say that the two most important things for a director are to have a good, strong, clear vision and articulate it and to have a good relationship with their cast. First time directors tend to think that they have a lot more responsibilities than just those two. And they tend to sometimes get mired in the details. Sometimes they'll spend a lot of time focused on really minute details that are really better left to the departments that they're in. And so what I'll try and do early on with the director is um, go through some of those key elements to basically kind of help flush it out of their system. I'll talk to them specifically about how do you see this scene playing out? Do you have a shot list? And, and I'll help them make one if they need it, but with the help of the DP, of course. Um, and, and basically start to articulate to the keys what each sequence is supposed to look like. And the sooner they can kind of get that out of their head and, and over to those team members, then the sooner the team members can take that ball and run with it and do what they do best. You know, I mean, obviously nobody's going to be better at, at lighting a set than your DP and your gaffer. Um, so it's best if the director early on communicates with the, with the DP about the look of the film. And then the DP can start to go into technical mode on what that's going to take and allowing the, the, the director to relax a little bit on that front. Similarly with the production designer, they need to talk to them about the look, the color, the tone, the theme, and so on. And um, I facilitate those discussions. I'm, I'm you know, helping to make sure that they happen. I'm communicating with the director about, um, you know, have you had a chance to talk to so-and-so? Have you talked to costumes yet about, you know, there's this particular scene that requires some, you know, unique aspect. Right. Things like that. So I'm talking to them about details so we can kind of get it out early. I think you, you hit on the head one of the, the big things that I've seen as well among first time directors is is their responsibility and and yeah. they, like you said <clears throat> they may think that because they're a director that they need to direct everything, everything you know right. um you know in, including the logistics yes and and the logistics part of it is where they can just relax and just sit right. in the director's chair yeah. and let you as the first ad take that ball and really handle it so you know, I've, I've found myself talking to directors and explaining that logistical part, and that seems to help sometimes. Um, and part of it is, is me instilling confidence in them that I, I will do my job. You know, admittedly, especially, you know, in the indie world, you know, the crews aren't necessarily as experienced as you would find in a, in a studio world. So I get that sometimes your director might think he has to micromanage because, you know, maybe they don't have an experienced first AD in, in general or experienced DP. So I'm, I'm trying to convince them, I got this. You can, you can totally relax. This isn't my first rodeo, you know? Yeah. And sometimes they might've come from a commercial world or a video world yeah. where they've worn multiple hats. They have like, they haven't had a first AD. So yeah. it's kind of a new thing or micro budget where they're yeah. practically no crew. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of learning that system, you know, I've, I've even, have you had to explain, I know it sounds basic, but when do they call action? When do they call cut? Because <laughs> I know it's, it seems funny, but yeah, it does. I mean, what I usually do in prep ahead of time, um, mainly, you know, so it doesn't embarrass them. I don't want to do this in front of the crew, but I'll go through the cadence with them. Right. And I'll say, 
here's how this is going to happen. You know, I'll, I'll bring the actors to the set. We'll get, uh, you know, we'll walk through it. We'll rehearse. We'll, you know, we'll get last looks. I'll call for quiet on the set, you know, lock it up and, and so on. And I'll explain to them, you know, I'll make sure that the camera's rolling, that we've slated. And when everybody's set, you know, I'll say and or I'll do something that basically gives them the cue. The next thing that happens is you calling action. Or, as a lot of directors like, I'll ask them, would you like to call action or would you like me to? I mean, uh, half the time I'll be doing it. Although with first timers, they tend to want to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's helpful when you have a large crowd you know, and you're right. using a megaphone or something that you, it might be better for you to do it. Well, what's funny is it usually starts off with the director saying, I'll do it. And then by week two, they're like, you just call it. It's just easier if you do it, you know? <laughs> right. Because his, his voice is gone by, by week yeah. two of yelling. Well, and he's focused. He's right. sitting in front of the monitor and, you know. So, you know, we kind of talked, we touched on this idea of clear vision, which I think is, is really critical. Um, and that relationship with the cast, what are some of the, the pitfalls or some of the, you know, mistakes that you you see first time directors making um, over and over again that you're like, I wish well, I could prevent this. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's two that come to mind. Um, one, just a general sort of the nervousness, which is totally, uh, you know, normal to have kind of butterflies, but you know, typically a, uh, I mean, I say a first-time director, but the chances are they've done other things. Maybe they've done shorts or little videos or, you know. On a movie set, yes. Yeah, okay. and, and but like with them and a buddy, like with no crew, and they're used to doing everything. So they tend to really overthink the technical side of making a movie. And out of sort of a nervous habit, when they call cut, first-time directors very often will immediately start talking to the DP or the camera operator. They start talking about the technical aspects of the shot. I mean, focus obviously is important, but just little things that are maybe not that critical and they tend to neglect the cast. It happens more often than it should. And sometimes, you know, you can see the cast kind of sitting there like, what's happening? Was that a good take? Was that a bad take? Do you like it? Should I do something different? What's going on? And the director's not communicating with them. Sometimes they almost ignore them because their comfort zone is the technical side of things. Because when we're, when we're all little kids and we want to direct and we're making our little videos, it's always about the camera and that sort of thing. You know, or it usually tends to be. And so I'll sometimes have to kind of give them real gentle reminders of, yeah, you really need to go talk to your cast. You know, mm -hmm, right. and of course, you know, I have the advantage of I have a I have a front row seat to what's happening. And I can oftentimes I can see the cast with the look in their eyes that says what's going on. And of course, if you lose your cast and by that, I mean, you start to lose trust or you start to lose a connection. It's very hard to recover. And again, their performance is right on screen. So if you have a cast member who has lost faith in his director, that's tough to recover from. So I try and encourage the director to, no matter what you want to deal with right after you say cut, at least acknowledge your cast. You know, thank you, great take. Um, I, we're gonna need to go again. Let me, you know, let me, let me just talk to the DP for a second. Or, um, hey, that was great. Uh, or, or, you know, I mean, if we got it, we got it, that's great. But, or, hey, I, you know, let's try something different this time. 
but whatever it is, the point is they ha they just need to communicate with them sooner than later because the longer their poor cast member sits there under the hot <laughs> lights, completely confused about what's going on, you know, they start to lose their character. And and then sometimes it can be the opposite, right? Where it's where the director is talking to the actor so much that the actor doesn't feel <laughs> like they have room to do their own acting. That is a great point. Yes. Uh, I've seen that as well, where again, nervousness makes them chatterboxes sometimes and they'll over talk their actors through and what you're right. They need to give them space. So what they need to do is they need to build a strong foundation that says to the actor, I've got your back. You can trust me. I've got your best interest in mind. And within that knowledge, feel free to play, you know? And, you know, maybe it's like, hey, you know what? I like the character going this direction, but, you know, what, what are your thoughts? And, do, you know, do you have any suggestions? I think it's good to be flexible. It's good to listen to others, but it's, it's critical to have your own vision so that you know. I mean, one thing that's really important is you need to know what you want so you know when you've got it. You're never going to know if you've got the shot you want unless you have an idea of what it is to begin with. But once you've got it, feel free to give your actor some leeway and say, hey, I loved it. That was perfect. I'm good. But if you want to go again, if there's anything you want to try, now would be the time. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you're again, you're developing a trust. And the, the more your actor feels supported and encouraged and trusted, the more you're going to get performances that are dynamic and really come alive on screen. That's really good. Um, any other, you know, pitfalls or mistakes that you that you have tried to coach directors through? Um, well, um, I mean, a couple of things that just as an AD, um, I love it when they tell me if we want to go again or if we got it. <laughs> it drives me crazy when they say cut and then they start whispering to somebody or walking away and. You know, and I have to follow them around like a puppy to find out if we're going to go again. You know, that's one of my pet peeves. It drives me nuts. I'm like, just tell me if we're going again so that I can get all the wheels in motion and reset background. And, you know, but I mean, here, here, that's my pet peeves talking. So. No, no. I mean, pet peeves may be, may be the thing. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Um, you know, and, and another one is, um, you know, sometimes they have big, you know, stars in their eyes about their their film and because they lack the experience they don't realize what you're capable of on that budget so sometimes they're like oh yeah i want to i want to get a shot like this and a shot like this and a shot like this and this and that and that and i'm like okay yeah that's not happening in one day you know what you're asking for is that's a four-hour setup <laughs> you know and <clears throat> so what i'll try and do and i'll do this in prep though I'll, I'll give them an idea of what is a reasonable expectation of what we can accomplish. You know, how many pages we can expect to get a day. What's a, what's a typical number of setups we can expect in a day based on the number of company moves or based on the, how many actors we have to cover for a scene and so on. Um, you know, I'll throw out some hard numbers. I'll say, you know what, based on these elements, I think you can reasonably expect to get a good 25 setups a day. Um, you know, or, you know, in this instance, I think you might be able to get a few more, or in this instance, it's very complicated. Don't expect too much. This is going to take us half a day just to set up, you know, so I try and talk them through 
from that idea, just to give them some reasonable expectations, you know, so that they don't. Well, I mean, here's what I often say. It's like you can't put 10 gallons of water in a five-gallon bucket. Right. Never. It's impossible. And there are times I've had directors give me shot lists with more than 100 shots on it mm-hmm. for a day's work. And I just have to look at them and say, okay, take this back and cross out mm, 70 of those because we're not getting more than maybe 30 or so shots today. You know, um, I, I don't say it like that. But, right. You know, sometimes they don't quite realize – what the capabilities of the machinations of a film crew are when you've got 50, 60 people moving. Yeah. It takes some time, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll, and now here's the thing too. I will fight for the director's vision with producers that are sometimes not reasonable either. I, when I say fight, I don't mean that, but I, I will defend sometimes um, a vision because sometimes I will say, I mean, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, it's it's Luton, it's Newton's third law of motion, which is um, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if we choose to shoot these scenes today, we cannot expect to then also shoot these additional scenes. Um, if you would, you know, and sometimes they'll say, oh, but I really want to shoot this giant car crash stunt scene at the end of the day if we have time. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that's funny, you know, and I'll say, okay, that's just not going to happen. But if you really want that, then you have to give something else up because again, you're not going to be able to get 10 gallons in this five gallon bucket. You only get five. So do you want the car crash? I mean, I'm being very simplistic. Obviously that's something you prep for, but you know what I mean? I'll basically say you have to prioritize. What do you really want? What's the most important thing? And then what, do we have to give up in order to get that? You know, it's like when you're a little kid and you want to eat dessert and your parents tell you, you have to eat the dinner, your meal first. Yeah. And, and that's, well, and sometimes we'll do that. Like at the, at when we're close to the end of the day and a director will look at me and say, do we have time for another take? Well, the answer is how important is that other take to you? We have another scene to shoot. If you do another one of these 12 minute takes, it may cost you that scene. But if that of if if another take is really important, then it may be worth sacrificing that next scene. Maybe we can push that to another day. So I just I am not somebody that tells them what to do. I'm somebody that lays out all the information in front of them and gives them the information they need to make an informed decision. I'll say the answer is up to you. If you choose to to do another take, it will potentially cost us from getting this scene. So either we push that scene. You reduce the coverage on that scene. Maybe we turn it into a one-er or you forego this extra take and we move on so we can make that scene entirely. What's the most important thing for you? And, and sometimes it is worth going in overtime, you know, yeah. to get the better movie, right? Exactly. And I'll say that too. I'll say, you know, or we go into overtime, but that's going to cost money. So how bad do you want it? How important is this? And are the producers willing to let them go in overtime? Right. You know? It, yeah. Um, so when you're working on these independent, can we get second meal? <laughs> right. Or yeah. Or will you actually get overtime because of the type of production? Right? right. So when you're working on all these independent projects, um, outside the studio system, you know, a lot of times the, um, types of projects are more ambitious th- than the budget will allow for. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the typical number of days is, you know, 12, 15, sometimes 20. Um, 
And you're shooting what seven to ten pages, sometimes more a day, right? Yeah, I, I honestly seven's probably even on the low side. Um, yeah, eight, eight or nine sometimes. I, I've certainly done more than that, but obviously something suffers, you know, at some point. Right. So, uh, but a typical, let's say, movie in the studio system, they're shooting like three pages a day less. Yeah, yeah, two two to four on right. a big budget. Yeah. And so that they can they can afford to just do whatever they want. They can afford that hundred shot list. Right. They they can afford. Um, to just sit there they can and, and, and to roll. Add days to the schedule. Right. They don't have to worry about the things that you're having to worry about on this yeah. in this independent world. So, talk to us about how have you been able to navigate some of these these shoots where it almost feels like it's impossible to get it in the can. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, sometimes I'm the hard truth guy. You know, there are certain non-negotiables in low-budget filmmaking. They often are restrictions with cast let's say you know maybe you've got a name um but they can only give you a week and you've got you know whatever you've got a lot of pages with them um you know so you i mean of course as the ad we put the schedule together we have to prioritize um you know what's the most important thing you know it tends to be cast and their restrictions then i would say the next thing is typically locations and those restrictions right you know, we can only shoot at a restaurant on their off days or we can only shoot at a school on the weekend or obviously those are those are hard, you know, parameters that you have to work with. Sometimes I like these parameters. Like if a, if a <laughs> cast member has to fly out, I'm like, great, we have to get them out. Well, it's, it's funny. It's kind of <laughs> like, you know, day and night work. It's like if you got day work and the sun goes down, you're going home. Right. You know, well, I mean, actually, I mean, outside. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, and I've seen some guys do some pretty good work with lights. But, right. Yeah, sometimes hard parameters are good. There's there they force you to focus like a laser beam and get get the work done that you need to get done. Right. So, sorry, back to back to the question though. Um you know, what do you do to get this impossible thing in the can? Is is there anything that that you you have a strategy um, to make it happen? Well, I mean, the the biggest thing is communication. It's really important if if there's a day like that uh, that I see ahead of time and in, in prep ideally you know i'll sit and talk with the director about what the plan is going to be um you know i mean sometimes it's like working with live animals or you know or or kids or you know something like that where it's like okay or or a large group of extras so you know we'll sit and talk about you know we'll talk about what's necessary to to get what we need and then we'll come up with a strategy to get it and, and it may be, I don't know, let's say there's 12 pages of work for a, and we have only one day at that location. Obviously, that would be pretty ambitious. Um, <clears throat> and if we have other elements, we have a bunch of extras, we have kids that have to go home after a certain amount of hours, um, then we would have to just get really specific about the shot list, exactly what kind of coverage we need. We might checkerboard um, the schedule for the day in terms of the coverage. Maybe we don't have everybody come in and shoot a master right at the top of the day, knowing that our our minor, for example, we can't get to that shot until later in the day. Okay, so maybe we have to start with coverage. Maybe we don't start with a master. You know, maybe we don't do the master until the middle of the day so that we can get that kid's coverage sooner than later. Things like that. Right. But the the main thing is communication and just making sure it's all spelled out. And Sometimes there's answers that we don't want to hear. Sometimes it's like, 
I, I hate to say it, but I don't think this is realistic. Understand what's going to happen if we move forward with this the way it is. You're probably not going to get to, you know, it's funny. I, I use an analogy of NASCAR. I don't even watch NASCAR, but I understand that for NASCAR, um, when they're qualifying, if there's only a certain number of cars that qualify and you're the last car, but there's other cars still coming, they say you're on the bubble, which means you could get bumped off if another car gets goes faster than you. So I will tend to, to talk about the shot list and I'll put shots that I say are on the bubble. So we prioritize the shots that we absolutely have to get. And then if there's shots that are kind of on a wish list, I'll say these shots are on the bubble. If we can get to them, we will, but you have to know that we may not be able to get to them. And if, if there's something on that list that the, the director absolutely insists on, well, then I'll say, okay, well, then what do you want to give up in order to get that? Because you're never going to get 10 gallons of water in a five-gallon bucket. It's not going to happen. You know, and, you know, I, I have the reality behind me. <laughs> so, right. You know, and, you know, and sometimes, unfortunately, some sometimes people have to learn the hard way. I mean, I've certainly had people that ignore some of what I say and then, end up not getting it or racing through something and it's just the quality's not there. Um, and then chances are they'll do it a little different next time. It's not my job to make somebody do something. It's my job to inform them and to facilitate. And as long as I make sure that they have all the information they need to make a good informed decision, I've done my job. When you talk about making somebody do something, I guess one of the big things would be moving on, right? Because you, you, <laughs> as an AD, you can't necessarily force a director to move on. I mean, maybe somebody does. but By the way, let me jump in and say, with the entire exception of safety, safety is, is a deal breaker. Right. I absolutely would enforce safety. This is about creative choices. Correct. So this whole idea of moving on, you know, we're, you're with a director, first-time director. We're take number, you know, 27. You, you, you can't force him to move on. He, he's, he's directing, right? Yeah. So what do you, how, how do you um, get into his psyche to say, hey, what do you think about moving on? Well, it, uh, it depends on the, on the personal dynamic. It depends on their personality. You know, some, some get in a headspace and don't like to be bothered, and, and, and others are like, oh, cool, no problem. Um, I won't let it go without making sure that I've at least informed them. Um, it may just be I kind of I side up next to them and just sort of tap on my watch, you know, which kind of gives them an indication that, all right, we may be going a little bit too far here. Um, you know, depending on the rapport I have with the director, and I, you know, I obviously try and establish that early on. If they trust me at all, I may say, um, are you sure you don't have it? You, you know, is, do you want to maybe take a look back and, and see if any of those other takes are going to work for you? Because chances are, you know, we're going to be, re I mean, <laughs> you know, there's like the old saying, you know, you're going to be crying later today. Right. You know, if I have a relationship like that with the director, I may jokingly say something like, you know, you're going to be crying later if right. you want to keep going here. Um, but if, you know, if that's not the relationship we have, then I'll, I just, it's all about diplomacy, right? All communication on set has to be couched in diplomacy and not in front of the entire crew. Absolutely. And, you know, and so no, that's really important that you never want to undermine the director. You never want to embarrass the director because that does a couple of things. Uh, one, it erodes the relationship that the two of us have with each other. 
but it also undermines the the trust that the whole crew has in who the who's leading the ship and that can have ramifications that go beyond that moment mm-hmm. you know so it's not good for anybody if you ever undermine the director so and also like i guess in addition to um giving him estimates on your time do you do you find yourself they could be the opposite where it's like they're so worried about the schedule that you know they're only one taken oh. done and then you need yeah. to slow them down i mean there are times <clears> when i say are you sure you don't want another one of those you know or we've got time if you want to try and grab that you know we're we're doing fine on time so yeah i'll absolutely do that too uh, you know i'll kind of gauge you know part of what i'm doing is i'm gauging them it's not necessarily the time although that's obviously a big factor but if i can tell that they're rushing themselves or that they're not feeling comfortable about what they're getting i'll i'll try and help them feel confident by taking the pressure off of them because sometimes they will sort of police themselves mm-hmm. and i'll say hey don't even worry about the clock i'll worry about the clock you just worry about getting the great performance right that's good um so i, I want to talk a couple things about um just different tools that you might have are there is there any like software any apps any tools that you use that you like to have on set yeah um i have been doing this long enough that i remember the old strip board days and i'm i actually I still have one of my strip boards around here oh, fun. like literally writing in pencil on strips of paper which i actually really am glad that i had that experience because just kind of being tangible about putting the scenes in order was a great way of training um but I use Movie Magic scheduling now, uh, as as most people do, and I I do like the customization in it. Um, so I'll I'll make sure that I've, it's customized that that matches the the, the project. Um, I used to be, uh, you know, I mean I'm, I'm old school, so I used to have the tin and I used to have the, uh, you know, the the trifold, and I'd walk around with, you know, a notebook with all of the you know the schedules in it and the script and everything like that. Um, and as you know, cause we've worked together on a few projects, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty much anti-paper now. I'm not anti-paper, but I have everything I need Good for you. on my iPad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have everything I need on my iPad and I have multiple, um, apps that I use. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll just throw a few of them out there cause I know that's something interesting for, for your listeners. Um, I use scriptation. Scriptation is an app for scripts. It, uh, it, you can import them in PDF files. What I like about it is that you can take notes on it. You can highlight, you can underline, you can write stuff, you can add photos and so on. But not just that you could do that, but if a new draft of the script comes out, you can lift all your notes from the previous draft and put them on the new draft. So you don't have to go back through your script and rewrite all the notes you had. Oh, that's handy. Yeah. So that's one thing I really like is scriptation. Um, I've been, that's an app I've been wanting to get, but I have yet to. It's only a couple of bucks. Download. Yeah, it's only a couple of bucks. And um, I used to use the bigger iPad, which is the original iPad. And that actually was a little bit cumbersome to be kind of bringing around with me on set. So I now use the iPad mini. Uh, I had a second AD on one of my shows use one of those, and to me, that felt like the perfect size. It's bigger than a phone, smaller than the other iPad. It was just enough to carry around. I've adapted it a little bit. I have a Pelican case for it now, which is really durable, and it's got a cover on the front, 
and I've actually added a handle to it so I can hang it on my belt. So I'm, I tend to be hands free. You know, I have my belt and I hang stuff on it, but I like to keep my hands free because you all, all the time we're moving stuff We're you know, we, we need our hands free. So on my iPad, I've got scriptation. So I've got the, I've got the script. I've got all my notes. Right. I also have final draft reader. So I have a final draft version of the script as well. The only benefit to that over scriptation is that if there are colored revisions, I can actually see the page colors. Oh, right. For each revision. You um, mean you don't like going back and re- trying to reread the entire script? <laughs> Who knew? <clears throat> and so um, what was some of the other ones? Um, unfortunately, I don't think they've updated it, but Movie Magic Scheduling has an app for the iPad. But I think the new iOS has rendered it. Yeah, I don't know if it works anymore. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't anymore. But up until recently, it did. Hopefully, they'll update that again. But the great thing about that is, it not only did I have the strip board schedule in there, but I could actually move strips around in the app. So obviously, that's great if you know you you're getting later into the schedule and you have to start making adjustments. I don't have to go back and get my laptop out and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Movie Magic, if you're listening, please update that app. <laughs> right. Uh, other than that, I'll just put all my schedules into PDFs and I'll use, I'll put them in books, which is what iBooks used to be. Okay. Um, just so I have a PDF reader essentially. So I have all the schedules, day out of days, breakdowns, script pages and scriptation. Um, so I, I have all of those elements. I also use shot designer, which is another app, which shot designer is an app where you can, uh, do, um, floor plans Mm -hmm. and, and shooting layouts and so on. Um, so that's a really handy one. That's a handy one if you're a director or a DP as well, because right. you can create your shot list. But even as an AD, I'll sometimes use them for background. I'll use them for driving sequences. Oh, interesting. You know, things like that. Um, so that's a good one. I also use, um, I use Panascout when I go on scouts. Um, one of, so I, I take pictures of the locations, but I can geotag them. I can organize them in folders under the location. Um, I'm going to save all these apps that you listed in our show notes for the yeah. listeners in case yeah. you didn't remember what they were. I, f- I figured you can, your listeners can go back and reference. Right. Um, and then the other thing, I mean, as a director, Panascout's great because you can actually not Panascout. Well, Panascout for the things I just mentioned. Right. But then also Artemis Viewfinder is another good app um, where you can look at different lenses and so on as you're scouting. Um, and then the last thing, which isn't really something I use on set, but something that I use in between jobs is I use Evernote and I, I put all of my documentation in there per project, specifically my crew lists. So I have a folder that has just all the crew lists from mm-hmm. all the projects I've ever done, because how often is it, you know, I'm on a project and we're like, oh, we need, we need a second AC, you know, anybody, or we need right. a new craft service person. I'm like, oh, yeah, I worked with a great person. I can't remember who they are or how to get in touch with them. Well, I have Evernote. I'll pull it up. I'm like, oh, yeah, it was from this show, and I'll just go back. And I mean, it's a freelance world. you got to know people. So it's really important for me to have all those crew lists handy, and Evernote's a good way to do that. You know, Evernote, I've been holding out forever to buy it, you know, because it's free. But the the paid subscription is really worth it. It's like three bucks a month, something like that. Maybe. I've um, never paid for it. I just have the free version. But what's cool about Evernote is it has a desktop app versus just yeah. having to log in. You know, because so many times I'm, I don't have my internet and I just want to pull up some notes. And I, I really like that about Evernote. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Thank you for sharing those. Um, I, I, I want to kind of end this segment talking about 
uh, leadership because you know as a first AD you're, you're you're put in a position where you're managing people you're leading people um, are there any books or things you've read or maybe videos you've watched that have kind of inspired you to you know be a better leader well um, I mean I'll, I'll give you some specifics of of uh, for ADing specifically okay um, there's two books one uh, one that I've got right here is called um, The Film Director's Team okay. by Alan Silver and Elizabeth Ward, a uh, practical guide for UPM's assistant directors and all filmmakers. Um, but another one that I've actually used quite a bit is called Running the Show. That's great. The yeah. Essential Guide to Being a First Assistant Director by Liz Gill. And that's a great hands-on step-by-step from an AD who is not on the fringes but somebody who's who's – working on good legitimate projects and so you know every once in a while there's some little arcane thing that i maybe can't remember or what have you and i'll look it up in there and be like oh yeah that's right yeah i i really enjoyed reading that one i think it's it's one of the better resources very out there. helpful yeah so you know if, if somebody's out there in our in their audience and they you know enjoyed this talk today how do they go about following you on social media are you on social media yeah i'm on facebook um and i use that primarily uh i'm on i'm on instagram as well but i use that just for photography if you like good set photography though i that's like a hobby i have it's one thing i do in long lighting setups is like oh there you go i take some fun set photography so that i have instagram for that but for Facebook, um, that's where I tend to connect, and uh, I'm happy to connect. The good thing is I'm the only Joth Riggs on the planet. Oh, great. So I'm easy to find. What about LinkedIn? Are you on that? I'm on LinkedIn, too, but honestly, I don't, I don't look at it very often. But, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, and you're on IMDb, of course, and you yeah. can, I think you can follow people on IMDb now. You can, I didn't know that. You can. So okay. you can go follow Joth. Um, well, that's exciting that um, you have a project coming up to direct. Anything you want to talk about that? Uh, it's, it's, I'm excited about it. It's a suspense thriller and, um, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait. Well, I, I wish the best for that. And I thank you so much for, for joining us today on the Gopher production podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please visit us on iTunes, leave a comment, subscribe, and tell a friend. If you'd like to stay up to date with what we're doing, you can visit the blog at assistantdirecting.com and sign up for our monthly e-newsletter where we will notify you of the new episodes and highlight interesting technology and software in the film industry.